0: Stay hungry,
1: stay foolish.
0: We choose to go to the moon
1: in this decade and do the other.
0: Hey there, listener. Thanks for stopping by. Before we get the podcast started today, I just wanted to tell you about my Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and donating some money, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash K-I-P-P-O-D. And there's three separate tiers there where you can get exclusive content, ad-free content, and you can even suggest questions for me to ask future guests on the podcast. So, guys, make sure to check out my Patreon. Also, make sure to share this podcast on your social media accounts. Link it to Spotify. Review it on Apple. I would very much appreciate that. So, thanks, guys, and enjoy the episode. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett. And today we have another local uh, podcaster
1: uh, on the podcast. Uh, So, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Max, thanks for having me, man. This is uh this is great. I'm Bill Bartholomew and what's cool is that we're sitting here right now very close to Beaver River Road in Richmond and this very same building there was a pizza shop here called Sal's Pizza that when I was growing up in Charoho, the same place that that you grew up and that we're sitting right now, um this was kind of like the hub for my friend group especially in high school and I played in a band in high school called Acid Rain Revival, and just for whatever reason, like almost all of the my bandmates and my then girlfriend and like my whole world was just based around this tiny little part of this little sliver of Rhode Island, and it's it, it's cool to come back here because as I was driving in, I mean it's not like I haven't been here since then. I come through here all the time, but um, yeah, it's just cool, you know that that you're here. Doing this show that originates from this this uh, beautiful and very specific part of the state that has, um, you know, it's just really tied to my youth and a really special part of my life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty awesome. Actually, I forgot to tell you this earlier, but Joe, the guy that owns a building, he's, yeah. he, he should be coming on the podcast pretty soon as well. Cool. That guy, he owns Pinecrest Golf Course, owns Sal's Pizza, he's a lawyer. So he's got quite a life story. He's from Cincinnati. Oh, okay. so yeah. So
1: now, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was some kind of elected official because back then he was, he was a state representative. Okay. Too. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I remember that aspect of things. And, you know, of course, like some, someone's parent or something like that, that lived around here, like mm-hmm. they'd be like, Oh, you know, you gotta make sure, you know, you talk to Joe, you know, they, there might be some scholarships <laughs> or something like that or whatever. You know, he was like a, elevated to big shot status before I even yep. really knew what was going on. But yeah. But yeah, that that Sal's Pizza. It's funny just how those little places and those little—I don't know—those little um, hubs, something that's oh, that 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 has since been really important to me. The, the geographical brick-and-mortar hubs of a community. This was that, and we're out here in the woods. And the woods. There was <laughs> yeah, straight up, and you know, and and there was this pizza place that that allowed for uh, you know my my friend group to really flourish. I think. Yeah, it's funny
0: that you say the woods because when uh, I, I I played baseball a lot, but the first few years I played, it was all down here. Yeah, and then I played out of out of a team based out of Warwick. Yeah, and there were three of us from Cherokee on the team, and the first thing our coach called us was
1: hillbillies. Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> and, and you, I would get that too. Like, and and, and it's interesting because. Sure, Washington County, Rhode Island is is rural, of course, and you think of the Washington County Fair and there's a lot of genuine rural activity here whether you're talking about the farming aspect of this area uh, or or any other the Francis Carter Preserve. The the preserve, one of yep. my favorite places in the world to hike mm-hmm. is there. Um there's there's obviously a lot of hunting that, that takes place here, people who outdoors outdoor sports in yep. general. And uh, so, and I always take that as a very important part of my my political and and social worldview because I did grow up in this type of area. No, I didn't grow up in rural Mississippi or something like that. I can't really bring that direct perspective. But I'm mm-hmm. I, I feel very lucky that sure I lived in Brooklyn for a decade in this uber global hipster type of paradise. Yeah. Um, and and so on and so forth. But I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for the rural identity, and it's something that I I think allows me to have a more empathetic or at least a more uh, understanding and broad view of this state. Because a lot of people do see this and they go, oh, you know, hillbillies. Or I I hear some some people in politics, media, so on and so forth, and and they they really view. Or, or dismiss I think a lot of the the ideas and minds that come out of this part of the state uh or the northwest portion of the state and um there's like an elitist thing that that i I, I hear it and I go oh boy that's that's bad and that needs to be corrected because it's it's not true and it's it's just kind of feeding into these silly predisposed biases that mm-hmm. people have against or in some cases for these kinds of rural areas yeah. So, all right. Why don't I'd love to get into you know your life
0: story. Oh yeah. So uh, I was born on a
1: cold. Actually, it was
0: August, <laughs> so that makes no sense. But, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, if you want to just start off, you know, I like like to
1: think from after you graduated high school on,
0: yep. and just you know talk about your life.
1: Yeah. So I did go to Charro High School, as as mentioned, and and it was an interesting period for me. There was a lot of ups and downs there. I was always a little bit lost um, in, in the environment. I was kind of caught between a lot of different worlds. Um, I was always inclined towards the humanities and the arts and things like that. At the same time, a lot of the people I was around uh, were more in the athletic slash, you know, you gotta get a full scholarship to Harvard or else you're, you know, you're some kind of loser type of mentality. Uh, so it was this dangerous blend, um, and I was lucky to find people that understood kind of where I was going. Uh, by the way, nothing against sports or academics because I think I did. I was involved in sports as well, and and I, I, I'm not opposed to like trying to go to Harvard and get a full ride okay. or something like that. But, but so I graduated here. I went to URI. Uh, there were a couple of reasons for that. One, my dad worked there, and as a result of that, I was able to get free tuition.
0: That's huge. Huge. That's huge he was yeah. a maintenance
1: man there blue collar, uh, union guy. And one of the perks of that job was that free tuition. That was huge for me. And I lived on campus, so I wasn't like living at home, but it was only 15, 20 minutes away from where I grew up. And, uh, through, through that period, um, I started to become more, and more interested in politics, more and more interested in independent art, things of that sort. And I uh, I was playing in a band in, in high school, I was in the music program at Cherahoe, and, and I took drum lessons, and I was already on that sort of track, but about halfway through my time at URI, I started to feel, you know, lost a little bit, uh, questioning, what the hell am I doing here? I'm I'm, I'm around very few like-minded people, it seems. Uh, that's my fault for not putting myself in, in the right situation potentially, or maybe it's just a circumstance of going to college 15, 20 minutes from where you grew up. But, um, I gravitated towards a group of people that were in Providence that weren't URI students. We started a band called Commas and that band, uh, I played drums in and played guitar. We kind of all rotated instruments right when I graduated from URI in 2006, we all moved to Brooklyn, New York. The idea was, you know, we wanted to kind of insert ourselves into what at that point was this really flourishing indie rock, sort of artistic oriented, um, I guess you'd almost say, like I said, uber hipster type of of, uh, (laughs) place. But pre really being gentrified, we were in Bushwick. And in Williamsburg, actually properly, right on the B- Williamsburg-Bushwick border, which are two, two neighborhoods in Brooklyn, and we moved into this loft building. Uh, they're called the McKibben Street Lofts. They're still there today. Two huge old factory buildings right across the street from each other in, uh, in Williamsburg, right on the Williamsburg-Bushwick line. And, and the band moved in there, and, and we kind of kept to ourselves. I got a job at a law firm using my poli-sci degree as like a paralegal-type scenario, Nine to five, coming home, writing songs or practicing. We were playing some shows, but I think for the most part, the band. After about a year, it was clear. Like some some people moved back to Rhode Island. Some people went on to do other things in New York. But for me, you know, I really fell in love with that track, Um, and I started to go more and more uh, deep into the, the the this this. Specific community, uh, this very international, artistic type of scene. A lot of weirdos, uh, you know, like myself included. You know, a lot of people who um, were, were looking for something for for a different type of world is kind of where I ended up. And uh, particularly by going to, there was a cafe in the building. Another one of these spots, like Sal's Pizza. Now all of a sudden. The next one, um, or another one for me, was this cafe called Potion Cafe, and it was about the size of the studio we're in right now. Very DIY, very um, you know, low budget, super uh, artistic type of of environment. Um, they served coffee and bagels, but it was primarily to be a hub for people to just kind of show up, and you know, people would be hanging outside smoking pot and. Inside, there would be uh, drawing or whatever. And there was an open mic that started there every Monday night. So by about 2007, 2008, I was now fully immersed in this community. This open mic was happening every Monday night. And that was one of the greatest challenges I had faced in my life at that point. And at this open mic, there was a real sentiment to bring new, unique art in my case, performance art, music, songs that I'd written every single Monday to this, this show that featured the community, plus it became very buzzworthy and a lot of people were coming from all over the world to, to perform at this thing. And that was when I really started to uh, also connect with people who were, were talking about things outside of the CNN level of politics, different ideas on anarchy, uh, syndicalism, Libertarianism, socialism, um, challenging the idea that Barack Obama was a savior, you know, saying that, hey, this guy's pretty corporate when you really look at it. All of these things started to enter into my consciousness by being a part of this international community where every race, background, gender identity, experience level – and so on and so forth were just immersed into one place and it was like wow i mean talk about a different worldview than being in richmond or, or charlestown rhode island um so i had that experience that was my undercurrent i started my own venue there with a couple of people i formed my own band we recorded a record at sony with with some producers from sony released it i toured the country got some magazine reviews started to build a career as a musician kind of developing that project, playing a lot of the venues in New York, the clubs, also a lot of the warehouse spaces, all these like crazy parties, sometimes um, getting to the point where we'd be playing in theaters and it just sort of started to happen for me. I was putting the work in. I was just doing stupid jobs, like temp jobs or refereeing soccer or whatever it was, just to make enough money to keep my band moving. Um, Living in my practice space at this point, you know, like just total in. Type of moment, and that grew over the course of maybe five or six years to the point where I was sustaining with the help of having these other part-time jobs. I was sustaining as an original musician, getting some songs in films, getting some songs on TV. Um, I was on MTV doing performing a song. I was doing doing really interesting and exciting things, but at the same time, wasn't really making any money. You know, it'd still be paying for rent with quarters I moved out of my practice space into a squat so I was living and they they had literally tapped into one of the, the traffic lights for power in the house So everyone you know it' was just this totally nuts scenario in Brooklyn and that lasted for for a while. Um, I got married my wife is a tremendous artist currently at Yale getting her master's degree in in, uh, in painting she got a full ride there she just graduated RISD. I met her her in 2010. And we had gotten married, and um, she's also a musician and a songwriter. And after kind of debating about whether or not we wanted to work together, we started busking on the subway together. And it was successful. We were making money, playing on the subway, doing original songs. And uh, we started a band called Silver Teeth. That band ultimately ended up getting – we put out a record. It got reviews on Vice and a lot of of national press toured a lot – went down to Brazil where she's from and and toured there and started to play a lot of shows in New Haven, Newport, Providence, and really fell in love with Newport, Rhode Island and realized that we had, there was a great community there, a great music community. We realized, hey, look, we're struggling financially in New York. The scene that had existed at those loft buildings, the potion cafe had closed, the most of the the venues we played at had closed. People were leaving the city. This is like 2016. And we decided, hey, let's move to Newport. Let's let's jump into what was kind of the closest thing to that scene in New York that we could find. Uh, we moved our band Silver Teeth to Newport, um, continued to grow that project, and basically um, get to the point where we were a full-time original band for, for a few years. And during that time... I started to realize being back in Rhode Island, I was listening to the local radio, WPRO, calling in as a caller to WPRO. I called myself William in Newport, and I would challenge the hosts, and they probably hated my guts. I'm sure they did. (laughs) Um, And paying attention to the local media and realizing, you know, there's something missing here. The voice is is missing a lot of issues, and it's also – it's not embracing – the wider spectrum that I'd come to discover in New York of politics, ideas, social status, all these types of things. And uh, my wife said, well, you should, you should start a podcast. Uh, Partially because I think she was sick of me broadcasting to her. You know, I'd give like a play by play of like, all right, now Gabriella has is on her way into the kitchen. She picks up the strainer and there it is. The pasta has been dumped, (laughs) you know? So she was like, you need an outlet for that. And uh, I decided to start a podcast in 2017, did a year of research. In 2018, I released the first episode of the Bartholomew Town podcast, which was, I decided was going to be like this local, hyper-local politics and media and a little bit of art show. Um, That was an election year, put out the show, had almost all the candidates on, gained a ton of momentum through that by people being interested in the election and being like, oh, I can learn about this candidate for governor or this lieutenant governor candidate or this person or that person. And over the course of the next few years, I just hustled, working stupid jobs, delivering newspapers, refing soccer again, um, whatever it took to just be able to spend most of my time developing this podcast. And by I would say like 2019 the show had legs. I was getting advertisers and it, it started to become clear that there was a pathway for me in broadcasting through this podcast that was really like organically I didn't wasn't spending money on ads or anything like that I was just organically getting out there. Um, and that's kind of what, what teed me up for where I'm at now. I think during COVID-19 uh, there was a huge spike uh, in my presence, I was attending every single day the governor's press conferences. Um, Bartholomew Tom became a credentialed media outlet and oftentimes challenging all kinds of things that were put forth in the COVID pressers, um, but not in a disrespectful type of manner, but just a genuine challenging, challenging way. Um, along the way, I, I, I started filling in on WPRO as a host and that was like almost like a dream come true when it first started. It was like, wow, this is a station I listen to. I can't believe this is happening. Um, I also started working with Rhode Island PBS doing television, long-form television journalism on a, on a show that we have called Rhode Island PBS Weekly every Wednesday night and Sunday night it airs. And now here I am today, um, still trucking along, doing the same, same thing, podcasting, TV, radio. And I have i didn't take a break from music i've been playing in bands and drumming and and so on and so forth silver teeth kind of took a pause but now i'm really in the middle of, of of kind of a rebirth of my solo career and working on a record that is in that department and um really looking forward to 2022 so that's a rambling way of saying that uh, that's who i am
0: that's pretty awesome um I'd love to hear like sort of how you structure your podcast mm. because you say, you say we sometimes and, and you, I know you said that you produce podcasts as well. Yep. So if you could sort of explain that structure, that'd be cool.
1: I view at this point B town, um, which is the, the short term, not short term, short form name for Bartholomew town as an entity. So it's just me. I'm the janitor, the the host, the producer, the booker, the whatever, the promoter. But I see it as a we, probably because I want it to grow at some point to have more more of an organizational feel. And because also there's a lot of people along the way who have been massively supportive. Um, there's journalists in the state, you know, just a couple of people that come to mind like Jim Hummel or, or Steve Clampkin, um, two people that are massive influences of mine that ended up being very supportive. There's people who are artists or... Advertising agents or whatever that have um, people like Ben DiCastro or Dante Bellini Jr. These are, these are people that have been there with me, uh, that are mentors, that are friends, and there's a, they have a stake in what I'm doing, in my opinion. So when I say we, part of it also includes just the people who have supported me. Okay. Um, as far as the structure, yeah, so I do t- primarily two episodes a week. Sometimes I do more. So There are times where I've done five a week. Um But the goal is every Tuesday and Friday, and actually breaking news here for anyone who's listening, we're going to move it to Tuesday and Thursday in 2022, uh, just from some analytics studies that I've done, give people an extra work day to listen to it. But uh, I, I book the guest. Um, I am able to identify either the relevant story of the moment or a topic or person of interest, a newsmaker, as, as I guess you would call them. Um, at this point, I'm fortunate to have relationships that, you know, like today's podcast is with the attorney general. You know, he's been on five or six times, so all I have to do is text him or his assistant, and mm-hmm. great, he's on. Uh, same with the governor. The governor's been on a zillion times on on Bartholomew Town. You know, just just a text got the governor. That's incredibly fortunate. Yeah, I. Yeah, uh, but so it's but cool. it's also the product of just digging out years and years and years of of, of not years and years and years, but a few years here of just hustling and hard work and dedication to it that that allowed for that to happen um i think a podcast is better when it's longer at the same time i think rhode island being a unique situation and being hyper local in rhode island our car our car rides are shorter so Mm -hmm. i end up having podcasts between 20 and 30 minutes usually sometimes it's longer i just did one with billy gilman yeah that was like an hour long. We could have yeah. gone on for like five hours. I think there was enough there, but, um, so that's, that's kind of how I structured. I do produce podcasts for other people, uh, ad agencies and PR firms, mostly that have a client that wants to do their own show. And then, you know, that's, the, that's like a side hustle basically, but it is an income generator for me and, and it's, it helps to allow, it allows me to keep doing this for mm-hmm. sure. um, and then I have a secondary show that I launched in, Ju- in July of this year called Song Obsessed that's a music podcast that I interview national singer-songwriters and we talk about music. That show, I was shocked. I just got an email from Apple over the weekend that said that we're ranked 209th in music podcasts in the country, hmm. which is weird because I haven't put any real work into it. But I think yeah. when you have a guest that's really intriguing, like they just had Edward Sharp, Uh, the Magnetic Zero singer uh, Alex Ebert or you know kind of bigger names people search for it because he already has a they already have a fan base and then it's it's, that helps the cause a lot so um, I try not to over edit I now record almost exclusively through zoom for a number of reasons one because it's easier for the guests it's
0: ridiculously easy yeah to do it through zoom
1: and I feel like the audience hasn't felt the drop off that i thought they would in terms of quality it's definitely better to do it in person which is why i was like oh yeah let's if let's do it in person your show here mm-hmm. but that also is a huge time saver for me so I'll, i can kind of immediately edit uh which for me editing is very minimal i never take anything out i just will kind of improve the audio quality i i through music i got really good at pro tools the software pro tools so i can do a lot of um Sound quality improvement. I do like an intro at the beginning of the show, some ads, and and, and then put it up. And it's it's got legs because the audience is, is able to just, you know, they they it shows up on their phone, and they listen to it, and yep. it's and it's it's like a friend. It's like it's like the radio. You turn on the radio, you know it's going to be there. You know you, your your friend on the radio is going to be there. I'm always in your your pocket on your phone. Most people probably don't listen to every episode, but some people do and I know that there's a core audience of people it's like every, every all right every word this is something they're consuming so I have to speak both to them and the person who was just discovering this because they're interested in that particular guest mm-hmm. so that those different I'm still finding my voice you know I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do it both in terms of like the actual physical voice and also how to address people but it's very conversational. The show. It's. I, I'm not trying to sandbag people. Now I'm yeah. very opinionated. Yeah. Um. I do the talk radio stuff, and I have opinions. And there's some things that I just find uh, like moronic and intolerable. So I'll I'll nail people. Very very rarely though. Most of the time, it's very just conversational. Whether yeah. or not you're a, the far left candidate, if you're a far right candidate, anybody in between. It's the same. Exact Everybody's thing. got their issues. Everybody's got their issues. Yeah. no question. You have
0: a very diverse audience because I have looked through it and and listened to a few episodes. Um, I mean, you have everybody, like you said, from the governor to uh, people on the school board in North Kingstown. Yep. Which is it's it's really cool, you know, to have that diverse of an
1: audience. It helps, you yeah. know. I think that's part of the reason why it's spread out around the state is because mm-hmm. you, I try to talk to people from all over the state and issues that are both hyper focused on a community, but then can also be extrapolated to a regional audience. And th- that North Kingstown one's fascinating. You know, there's a situation where they have this book that's causing controversy that's in mm-hmm. the, the library. Um, it's been a statewide conversation, but at the same time, it's also, it's like, well, what, what does that say? Like how much autonomy should a school committee have? What, what role should parents play in what goes into the school? What about librarians? That's a big
0: question about the whole country. Yeah, huge.
1: It's 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 all, every state is having that, that that issue right now. It played a major role in the Virginia gubernatorial race, mm-hmm. where the, the the Republican candidate ran primarily on that issue and won. And 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 he, he, he it, it was a situation where the Democratic candidate wasn't a very strong candidate, but at the same time. That issue was uh, the dominant issue of the day, and it, it's what people voted on, and, and it's a cautionary tale, I think, for Democrats here in Rhode Island when um, – I know you had Blake Filippi on, and, and the last time I talked to him, he said, oh, I'm still not running for – he's, he's going to be running for governor. He'll be the conservative Republican candidate yeah. almost. Yeah, well, no he's doubt.
0: not – he's not like it, – it was very interesting hearing his take on things, and he's not – crazy conservative, I guess. Right. right. I mean, he's, he, I, I really like him. I'm not going to say what specific things I agree with him on. Yep. Just because I, you know, don't really talk about my opinions on this podcast, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I like him. He's a cool guy.
1: Well, there's a tradition of Rhode Island Republicans that is, uh, goes back to the 1980s and actually earlier, but really in the, in, in the eighties, um, Susan Farmer, uh, Lila Sapensley, Arlene Violet, of course, John Chafee of somewhat socially liberal, fiscally conservative, good fences make good neighbors type Mm -hmm. of Republican. And I think that this state could be, would benefit immensely from having that. And I think that that's what Blake, uh, pardon me, minority leader, Filippi brings to the table. Uh, You know, he has gun positions and some other positions that, that certain people on the left would say, nope, that's a non-starter. I'll never, I'll never vote for that guy. But I think the state right now is so democratically controlled um, and, and particularly by institutional Democrats that are almost kind of conservative in their own way, that a strong Republican candidate here would be very good for, for Rhode Island to have more debate and dialogue um, in the election, whether or not you agree or disagree with that candidate, I think it would make everybody better, you know, to have that type of dialogue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So, uh, you know, you see all these, I'm um, get back on the topic of podcasts. Sure. Yep. <laughs> you, you see all these different podcasting platforms. Yeah. Which one have you had the most success on? Apple. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that's because although Spotify is growing. Yeah. I think that Spotify appeals to a younger demographic and Apple a slightly older demographic. Um, I guess it's I, so weird how that works. Yeah.
0: I mean, cause I mean, I agree with that too. I think mainly because it's the app that comes on iPhones. Sure. Yeah. Apple podcast comes with every iPhone and yeah. it's that one less step because they have to go and download Spotify and make yep. an account and everything. But when you have Apple podcasts, it's all through your Apple ID. You already made the account. It's there to use. So it's like I think that's probably why it's the older demographic. I
1: think so. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just happy to have people listen. Whether some people shockingly listen on my website, which is like yep. just a landing page basically, but mm-hmm. you can kind of see the breakdown. I'm always like, wow, I'm surprised that that many people go to riPodcast.com and click play on that thing. Yeah, um, and I would imagine it's more of a desktop. Like you're sitting at yep. work and you put it on. But yeah, the podcasting platforms are interesting. Spotify has been making major moves. Obviously signing Joe Rogan yeah. and The Ringer are two huge, huge commitments. And I'm very intrigued by Spotify. Um, and I think that that as a musician, there's a lot of things I've learned that are negative about Spotify. You get paid so little, you yeah. get this, you get that. But at the same time, it's an, it's kind of an opportunity for... Um, a free market of ideas mm-hmm. if something's good algorithmically it tends to grow on there and or it not necessarily good that's that's wrong if something hits people in a way that's compelling and they want to listen to it then it grows i think pretty organically so yeah and now facebook is allowing you to on your page they they basically are a podcast publisher now so oh, they'll, i didn't know that yeah it's interesting you just go and and there's a place where you can enter your your rss feed yeah. and it will drop it I don't think anyone's listening to it there. I've never seen it show up on my pod yeah. track stats or anything like that. But yeah. it's good to know it's there. Well, I
0: think it'd be good to have, like, some video up on it or something. Yeah. You know, if you have a video podcast, just upload it on there. Um, but uh, so it's interesting because a lot of your episodes focus around Rhode Island. I yeah. mean, if not all of them. Um, so what made yeah. you
1: settle on just focusing on Rhode Island. Uh, opportunity. Yeah. You know, there's a market there that no one was doing. I was amazed that, you know, we have an, an NPR station here and I know now they do podcasts a little bit and so on and so forth, but people donate money to it and they, you know, and, and there's some great people there. Ian Donis is the political reporter there. He's been extremely supportive of me and, and he's a great, great reporter and and personality, but uh, I was amazed. I was like, what's going on here? Our local NPR station isn't doing any podcasting. What is this? And then even WPRO, you know, great uh, platform, reaches, you know, hundreds, over 100,000 people a month for sure, you know, and and they weren't doing any real podcast. They'd put like clips from their radio shows up there, but uh, Providence Journal wasn't. The Boston Globe RI hadn't started yet. Channel 10, 12, 6, they weren't. Rhode Island PBS wasn't. It's like, what's going on here? You know, this, this is nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a huge opportunity. So that's no—that's one reason why. Um, I also think that the more niche-oriented a podcast is, the better you're going to have uh, in terms of engagement out of the gate. So if you're into wrestling and you just do a wrestling podcast, well, there's already probably thousands of those. But if you were to do a, a podcast on 1990s Hasbro WWF action figures, <laughs> you're going to find a much na- an audience that loves that show. Um, I have expanded out a little bit. Sometimes I cover national figures, um, national journalists on Bartholomew mm-hmm. Town. And, and truth be told, my goal is to expand to certainly my goal is to expand to a national platform that has a much larger reach and simultaneously kind of pivot the Rhode Island thing to uh, what I would, what I, I've, I've been running a parallel name to Bartholomewtown the entire time called RI podcast and have ripodcast.com. The show in parentheses is called ripodcast.com. At some point when the moment's right, I'll probably split the two off and do like ripodcast.com by Bartholomew Town mm-hmm. or something like that and um, start building a national audience. But to jump into a national audience is, it's like, how do you even do that? You know, how do you break through? It's like being in a band again. You know, you've got to really connect with the right people, um, the right influencers to get either guests that are going to drive traffic or getting into situations where you're on podcast networks, like a Wondery or a, um, what do you call it? The, uh, the people that did Crime Town. I can't believe them. can't think of them right now, but- oh, uh, I I, think I, know what you're about. I don't oh, remember. can't <laughs> believe I can't think of it. Yeah. But uh, th- those, th- you know, a network yeah. that is, that's one way to do it. But, um, you know, it's like when I started doing Rhode Island stuff, it was like, who's Bill Bartholomew? Who is this guy? But then I would always say, well, who's Gene Valicente? Who's, uh, you know, uh, Ed Fitzpatrick at the boss. who are these people? They're just people that came along and did it as well. Yeah. Um, and I think Rhode Island allows for, first of all, there's a large audience for, for the consumption of this stuff. People are above average interested in this um, type of stuff, like local sports, like Boston Red Sox, New England Patriots, things like that. People are kind of obsessed with, so too, especially in Rhode Island, are they obsessed with politics and media? So... Would this show have worked if I did it in Brooklyn? Maybe, maybe not. It probably would have had to have had more of an activist tilt yeah. if it was in Brooklyn. Well, there's a lot. I'd imagine there's a lot more podcasts in Brooklyn. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. I can't even imagine yeah. how you would get started and how you connect. But I also think that a lot of people forget that podcasting, while it's my journalism is a, is a craft that is important to me and I've learned it and it's, you know, the... the The business side of it is important as well, of course. Um, You're a performer, number one. Mm -hmm. Rule number one. You're a performer the same way that a tap dancer is a performer, a musician, a stand-up comic, whatever. And that Rhode Island, I thought, um, it lacks, like, really great performers bringing, you know, like – journalists can take themselves so seriously and as they should because their job is constitutionally incredibly important and it's, an, it's the mirror uh, that, that, that upholds our values in a lot of cases and that's why it's so disappointing when you see journalism kind of splintering into either pure opinion or being corrupted by their sponsors or whatever it is but art equally holds up that mirror And equally is a chance for us to – it's also constitutionally protected. So um, I felt like Rhode Island, there was room for – and and look, I'm not saying I'm like this the the, the great performer of our time or anything like that. But when I'm on the mic, it's performance. It's a show. It's it's like being on stage playing music. Now I'm feeding it from a place of research and journalism and, and so on and so forth. I'm not sure a lot of people were doing that in Rhode Island. Uh, You know, in New York, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio and news talk radio in my in my when I'd be driving or at home, really studying it. And those people are performers. Mm -hmm. Like they literally identify as performers on the mic, and they're literally in the SAG after union, the stage, uh, the the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, like radio artists. That's a thing. Like that's, yeah. a, that's a performer yeah. and people want to be entertained. They need – we need humor. We need it, it, um, compelling performance. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of the stuff in Rhode Island is just like you, know, you hear it and you're like you're getting talked down to. It's like you, you know, you're made to be an idiot if, you, if you're not following certain things or you're this or you're that. And I was like, you know what? Rhode Island needs performers. You know, you need you want people to be entertained. Yeah. At the at number one, number one. I'll go ahead and say a lot of people would say, "Oh, it's horrible." You know, like you know, you you you're a credentialed media outlet, and you're talking about it like it's entertainment. Yeah, people want to watch or Mm -hmm. listen, and if it's not entertaining, they're gonna go do something else. Yeah. And that's why I think Rhode Island was a great opportunity because there wasn't really anybody here. Uh, the talk hosts on WPRO can be very entertaining. They're good performers. Um, but not speaking to a, a young audience, that's yeah. for sure.
0: Well, it's funny because really the only uh, radio – because I don't listen to the radio a whole lot. Yeah, you know? I'm sure you're, not. you're 20 years old, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, who does? I, I, when I do listen to it, it's just – the guys on wei you know talking yeah. about and it's only Sports when the talk. red sox are on because i'm not you know i like the patriots i like yeah. hockey not a big basketball fan but i mean i'll listen to them and they're entertainers yeah like, they and those yell guys, they scream and then the guys the people call in you know call them morons or whatever yeah. and it's hilarious you know like they're, it's entertaining to listen to sometimes,
1: and, I mean, that's what they're all about, and they'll admit that, too. Totally. Yeah. Totally, totally. And sports talk radio is is a huge influence for me. I also grew up very, very fascinated by WEEI because I'm I also, especially in, like, 2003, 4, five, six, seven, was very much into baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, greatest like, sport on the planet, by the way, baseball. Ar- definitely, arguably <laughs> the greatest sport. Uh, <laughs> magic. Magic. And part of the magic is the broadcasting, both mm-hmm. in-game, a radio play-by-play of a of a baseball game, especially, like, we're lucky to have the broadcasters we have here for the Joe Red Castiglione Sox. Castiglione is amazing. Yeah. If yeah. you listen to Castiglione or his former partner, Jerry Trub- uh, uh, Jerry Truppiano, um, you know, and I've listened to a ton of Yankees in New York, so John Sterling, Susan yep. Waldman, uh... That's museum-level art, the totally. description of, of, of what's happening in the moment on the field, what's happening with the weather, what's going on in the crowd, bu, 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 all that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, con- giving you a detailed description of the play-by-play yeah. of a game in real time, yep. that's museum-level art and performance. And that's what's inspiring to me much more so. Like I don't, I don't ever watch. I don't have a TV. I haven't had a TV yeah. since I moved to Brooklyn. I couldn't tell you who's on Fox News or yeah. CN. Uh, this guy on Morning Joe couldn't. If he was in here today, I would. I would know I have no interest in these people. Yeah. But you give me a great play-by-play, a Gus Johnson. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you give me a, um, you know, a, a, any Vin any Scully. Of those. Vin Scully, exactly. Yeah. You, you That is another level.
0: I'll, I'll tell you what though, because. I I watched the World Series, if the Red Sox in it or not, just because I love baseball. And I remember in 2013 um, uh, when David Ortiz hit that Grand Slam against the Tigers, and uh, it was Dave O'Brien on the radio. Like, that call gives me chills. I go and watch it every single time. And then you listen to the World Series, and you hear Joe Buck go, (laughs) back at the wall. It's gone every single time somebody hits a home run pisses me off yeah because he's horrible at his job <laughs> yeah and
1: talk about a guy who's totally
0: there. not creative in what he says he uses no verbs no fancy words yeah. you know like you listen to joe and and even will fleming the new guy was great he he's awesome great season. i Absolutely. was i was a little you know like you eh, know this guy sounds fake but he's not you yep. can tell he's a fan just by the verbiage he uses
1: and that's the right word the yeah. fandom yeah. i think yeah first of all i think when you're talking about nationally televised games for the most part you know whether it's jim nance or uh joe buck or anybody like that it's for a lower common denominator yeah if you're listening to baseball on the radio um or you know obviously the nesson you know you're that in it you're watching 162 games a year you know so you got a jerry remy oh he was i love that guy one of the greatest that's like the first
0: time a celebrity has
1: died and i was genuinely sad very sad like i was like this sucks changes our summers. Yeah. It, it, that's that's a soundtrack that's like a band ending. That's the sound of of a lot of people's childhood and summers coming to an end. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, Joe Buck and those guys. I mean, that's that to me is generally not that interesting because it's it's very cleaned up. It's very it's presented to a bigger audience and I think like I said a lower common denominator. Yeah. That sounds kind of rude, but it's accurate. But yeah, you're right. I'll go back and watch those great calls. Uh, whether it's like you said, Dave O'Brien on, on in two thousand thirteen, or I'd mentioned it before, but Gus Johnson, um, mm-hmm. you know, watching him call an, an college basketball games on in March Madness and stuff like that, those are amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing yeah. performers. Uh, the play-by-play guy for on route for the the uh, C- Seattle Mariners, I can't remember his name. I don't know. Um, just, just, just amazing performers. Yeah. Like, where is that in news and politics like that? That same level, that's, I have that enthusiasm for, like, the Senate race, District 3 in Providence, mm-hmm. you know, like the five candidates in that. Like, I have the level of enthusiasm for that that Dave O'Brien had for the Red Sox in 2013. So, yeah. you obviously have tons of knowledge to, if you're, if you're a play-by-play broadcaster on, on radio or TV, but you're, you're coming from a human fan magic. Yeah. inexplicable elements of 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 reality that we yeah. we can only understand I believe we can only understand half of the things. Our brain is only able to understand 50% of reality. Yeah. So that means there's another 50% that we can't understand. That's where songs come from. That's where a great baseball play-by-play comes from. That's where a great baseball play comes from. Yeah there's something magical happening there that is inexplicable and that's what i that to me is more what i'm trying to capture mm-hmm. than like uh, i didn't go to journalism school or broadcast school and i see some of these kids on channel 10 or something like that today and i'm like wow is this where is this where the news is it's like well, you're basically an actor or actress and you know you're acting like you're so disappointed in somebody for doing something and i'm I'm going to tell the whole state how disappointing your behavior was, you know, and it's, it's – how about some analysis? How about some energy? Exactly. How about bring some people into your world that you're carving out? Th- that's, that's the magic of, of broadcast arts, which podcasting is a part of and mm-hmm. is the future of because so- soon there will be no TV news. Um, the 6 o'clock news, that's going to be gone in 10 years. I yeah. guarantee it. Uh, it, I think we're going to lose a TV station in the next year or so here in Rhode Island. Yeah. Is I don't know. Point. I don't know the last time I sat down and watched the news. Who watches that? It's yeah. like old, and my audience includes a lot of older people, and I respect them, and I'm I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm happy that they're there, but the, they're they're there with me because I think even those people are going. Well, what's what's going on on? on the news at night. Like, Oh, this car accident happened. Oh, this person did something that was misbehaved. This person is here's the news could basically be like, good evening. This person misbehaved according to our standards. This person misbehaved according to our standards. This person misbehaved according to our standards. Here's the, here's the weather, (laughs) which is something you could get in literally (laughs) three seconds. And a great weather report is a great weather report. I love RJ Heim. He's a friend, him on channel 10. I'll watch that. And I'll laugh and I'll be intrigued because he's a performer. He came mm-hmm. from radio. He loves music. He's a, an example of like, that's a real performer. You know, yeah. R.J. Heim, like, you know, uh, Mario Hilario is the same way on Channel 10. He's a great performer. Yeah. You know, you stick him in another medium. He's still a great performer. Yeah. But yeah, the news, the TV news, like, I don't know. I literally don't know anybody of my friends
0: from. I mean, my parents do, but and that's when I watch it. I'll be like passing through yes
1: about to leave somewhere i'll watch for a second and be like i hate this and then leave yeah it sucks <laughs> <It's just laughs> i don't know anybody in my yeah. my my so i'm 37 uh i don't know anybody of my friends which i would say the people i spend the most time with are age 24 through 40 like as far as like my actual friends bandmates mm-hmm. people i spend a lot of time with uh not a single person and these are smart people that care about politics news information They read the Boston Globe's roadmap.
0: Hey there. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I just want to take this chance to tell you to share the podcast on your social media platforms. Link it on your Instagram story. Follow knowledge is power underscore Rhode Island on Instagram and leave a review on Apple podcast if you're listening on that platform. So thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the rest of the episode.
1: The the Dan McGowan's um, email that comes out every morning. It's a short blurb on what's going on in Rhode Island. They might listen to my podcast or when I'm filling in on the radio. Uh, they, had, they never watch the TV news. They're, 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 they're over it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know some people are going to hear this and feel like, oh, I'm dissing them. They're, because they're, and I'm not. The Amanda Pitts is another great – she's on Channel 12 now. She used to be on Channel 6. She's a singer. She's very smart. She's very good at gathering information and turning it into a report. Um, but she's a performer. Yeah. I love watching Amanda Pitts because she's a performer. And the stiffer and more – again, I keep going back to it. Like the more that people try to showcase that they're disappointed in, in something, um, the more boring it gets. And I, I think our our broad generation, so let's say like anyone from 18 to 45, like a really wide – demographic that we would both be a part of, uh, we're done with this. We're done with so much stuff. And when I see kids, like I sometimes speak at schools like the Met school recently and, and I go to a lot of protests and I see like kids were like 14, 15 years old and what they're able to do on TikTok, what they're able to do on Instagram, the ideas that they have, I'm thinking these are things that when I was in Brooklyn in 2007, when I was 23, I wasn't thinking about this stuff. These mm-hmm. kids are already so far ahead of the curve. Yeah, curve, and 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 th- 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 they never watch the local news. And they know more about what's going on locally than the local news. Yeah, like they they do. They just know more. They might not know that this politician uh, in in Exeter, his dad was on this, the chairman of this board or owned this company or that company. But is that really relevant to what's going on today? Yeah.
0: yeah, It's really interesting because I I coach up in Warwick. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I I help out. Um, I I actually go up there tonight, and it's really interesting to hear what kids talk about now compared to what I talked about when I was there five or six years ago. Sure. Doing the same exact thing and sort of like the insults they throw around and like – And you can totally tell it's influenced by their parents. And it's like, yeah. like, you know, I, I definitely was influenced, you know, and believe what my parents believe, especially at that age. But I wouldn't like insult kids based off of what they believed. You know what I mean? And like, sure. I see right, that right, a right. lot. Oh, for sure. A lot. That's like, the downside of it. Like 13 yep. year olds getting in arguments about vaccines. And I'm just like, yeah. like, dude, like, why are you talk about that? Va- You're 13. Like, like, stop. I agree. <laughs> and, and that is a danger. We,
1: and, and I think it's. Sometimes I see people on the left. I see this on the right a little bit, but I see a lot on the left here in Rhode Island right now where people are not willing to discuss or debate things Yeah, and they end up in situations where they're so close minded. Nope. If you have a car, it's a death machine. Bikes are the future. We shouldn't have park I've heard people say we shouldn't be building parking lots. We shouldn't have. You know, this is Rhode Island. Yeah. You you cannot ride your bike or public transit to get around the state in a, in an efficient way. Yeah. Uh, if you've got all the time in the world, maybe you got a nine to five. You got no kids, no spouse, no hobbies, and you just get up in the morning and go to work and come back. You might be able to ride the bus, but if you want to, th- this state needs to grow. We need to move. We need to be an economic engine. We need to be a conceptual engine. We need to tap into New York more. We need to tap into, into the world more. Um, I'm all about bike lanes. I'm all about green concepts mm-hmm. and, and things like that. At the same time, some of these kids, they need to realize that we cannot go that extreme. It's not practical in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just we just can't. So that doesn't make, and now some of them will say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, what am I, a climate change denier or am I corporate? And it's like, no, 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 I'm not. I, I'm with you. I get what you're saying, but... The cancel culture has gotten a little bit out of hand in some cases. There are some cases where totally appropriate. Someone is a racist. Someone is a sexually abusive person. Um, someone is just a just a jerk. Yeah, but canceling people for their their beliefs, especially on practical matters, is something that I see from the younger generation that mm-hmm. is. They have to they have to stop it. We saw this with the police stuff um, when George Floyd was murdered straight up horrible situation. no question about it. I was there in the street every day covering it. My heart was with them all the way. no question about it At the same time, there are people who are um, calling for the abolition of the police altogether and in theory, maybe in my in the cafe at Potion Cafe outside, talking about it with people, the world we want could be without police. But that's a thousand years from now. We we're not evolved enough to to not have. We I I agree there should be reforms in the police. I think a lot of police officers agree with that. I know because I talked to some. There's plenty that would say, oh yeah, there there are problems here with our union. There's problems with this tactic, that tactic. We spend too much time on drugs. We spend too much time. Harassing certain communities, we should be focused on this, that, the other. Um, but then there are some people who they It's abolish the police, or you're dead to me. And that's like, and then it's on the opposite side. There's, oh yeah, back the blue, or you're dead to me. And it's like, well, wait a second. Now there was an incident in Providence where police pepper sprayed children. You know, uh, I went on the radio that same day. I happened to be filling in. I was like, this is crazy. This is completely ridiculous. I mean. You, you, there's no situation other than if someone pulled a weapon where a 13-year-old girl should be pepper sprayed in the face by a police officer uh, for, for, for almost any reason. I got all kinds of email, oh, you're this, you're that, you're you communist, you're, you're anti-police, you're a horrible person. It's like, well, no, I'm not. I'm, and as it turned out, that that two the two officers involved, that one was forced into retirement, the other one was suspended for an extended period of time, because mm-hmm. uh, it's a horrible thing. It's like you have to be have the nuance to look at the situation at hand and make a decision based on that, not about these like pre held, I'm on this team, you're on that team, type of mentality, and yeah. and that's the danger with the younger generation that I just want to see them evolve out of that because. There's a lot of great minds that are being trapped in this group think. Um, that that, you know, I think you have to be able to separate the world you want yep. from the world that we can realistically have.
0: Very well said. Very well said. Um, so I guess I want to try to flip flop to yep. your music career. uh Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I it's it, it, I mean, if that's all right with you. Oh, of I course, mean, yeah. yeah. I I yeah. mean it, it it kind of it really interests me because I I I now know a couple people apart from you who have gotten into music mm-hmm. and it's just, it's really interesting industry. Um, I mean that whole entertainment industry, I guess, yeah. is totally different from 3d printing, you know, everything, every other industry, it's hard for me to explain, but, um, you know, obviously you said that you were into music in high school and it, and it, and it kind of shaped your, you know, where you were, uh, and where you wanted to move to. Um, and what kind, I I guess, what kind of music did you play? I didn't catch
1: that. Sure. So I think broadly speaking, the the term that I think I, I see myself as a lot of people probably wouldn't see that, but I see myself as like an indie, indie artist, indie rock uh, type artist. Um, I, I have a little bit of a country edge, but it's, I certainly am not, uh, Brad Paisley or something like that. Alan Jackson. Probably not Alan Jackson. (laughs) Although I do one of his songs if I'm playing like a cover set. Oh, yeah? yeah, I'll throw in some country songs for sure. That's sweet. I love Alan Jackson. Brad Paisley is one of my favorites. See, that's the thing. Brad Paisley is one of the great American artists of our time. You know, Uh, that that record Part 2 is an incredible record. Some amazing songs on there. Great guitar playing. And the guy's an incredible singer and he's authentic as you could possibly get in that medium. I'm not anti... I love country... Hip hop, punk, you name it—you know that I, I enjoy it all. But um, my my music is—I don't know what I'd say it is because it's whatever you're feeling. It, it it there's a consistent thread, yeah, for sure, that goes all the way back to when we were right here in this neighborhood, starting our, our my first real band, Acid Rain Revival, in two thousand one. Yeah. Um boy you know one thing I've I've tried and failed at a couple of times is to become more of a commercially oriented artist okay in songwriting sessions trying to like think okay if I do x y and z I'll make more money and then either my parents will be relieved or I'll be I'll have money to do something else or whatever and the the more the, the, the more I would try those types of things, the more foolish I, I, I would sound and be, I think. And when I've stuck to my, just my thing, songwriting is, is the number one thing about that I, that I do, I, I think. Is, is I write songs um, that are, I think they're emotional. They can be quirky. They can be, um, at times, aggressive. They can be at times really descriptive. Sometimes they can be very lyrically poetic or vague. There's an audience that likes my music. Most people probably, well certainly most people have never heard of it, but I'd say if I put out a record, some people are gonna be really into it. Um, Some people are gonna maybe have a song that they put on their Spotify playlist or something like that. Most people, it doesn't, you know, the average music listener probably doesn't listen to the same stuff that I listened to growing up. And so, you know what I mean? It's, but there is an audience for it. Um, it's weird. It's a hard industry. It's very entrepreneurial. I think that's the one thing that a lot of musicians
0: mm-hmm. don't,
1: re- or people who want to get into entertainment, whether as an artist or producer, whatever aspect is that it's as entrepreneurial, it's very similar to your 3d printing business. Mm-hmm. The idea is to generate as many income streams as possible and have as much time as possible that you're not tied up with nonsense um, and make make stuff. Uh, as a writer, when I'm in my most disciplined mode, I'm writing music most days a week. Um, I'm, I'm trying ideas out. I'm, I'm experimenting. I'm constantly rethinking things i'm constantly working on my performance my you know that that, that's when i'm at my most disciplined i'm starting to get back into that after a few years of not being in that place from focusing on this podcast um it's a tough business man it's a really really tough business i've seen people get signed to big big deals friends of mine that i've toured with get big big deals big money deals and not go anywhere i've seen people uh a guy I used to play play with on the subway and, and open mics and, and hang out with, named Charlie Crockett, that is one of the biggest country artists, certainly in Texas, probably globally right now. Um, not really a radio country artist, more of like a traditional, neo-traditional country yeah. artist. Uh, he just did it himself. He just figured it out and found an audience. Um, there's no one path, but you need to be committed to writing if you're a writer uh if you're if you're a guitarist or you know more of like a, a musician musician i think you need to be committed to never turning down a gig experimenting and finding your sound and and, and developing your sound not imitating mm-hmm. you know and that's that those are the things that i've really learned and uh it's hard though you know i i've had a lot of sadness in my time in music because we've had it's such an up and down moment uh you know one day you're I, like I said, I was on MTV at one point. Um, then you go through a year of busking on the train and, and not really feeling anything. And then you uh, you put out a record and you're in Vice and getting all this press and playing all these amazing shows at these big venues. And then, you know, you go kind of dip back down. and you know just, So it's just a really, really hard on your soul. And you've got to be very careful to take care of yourself um, and not allow the business of music to interfere with your art but the two are very intertwined so it becomes really hard to do that mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I you know I I like to refer to this book and for the life of me I can't remember the name of the book because I did read it but it's been a couple of years but I remember what the book was teaching yeah and or it's been a year um, and that was a lot of times in business you have people that go into business and enjoy what they do. For example, people really like music. They like playing guitar. They like sure. singing. But then when they try to, you know, apply it to a business model, and that's really what trying to build a band is, yep. you know, they can't handle it because of because it is entrepreneurial and they can't handle the business part, and it's really difficult for them. Yes. And they lose their initial pride and, and love that they had for it to begin with. And you see that in a lot of different businesses, whether it's baking, yep. music, 3D printing, sports, sports, people get into
1: coaching. Yeah. They want to become a, a college coach. They get a high school job they are they, working four or five different youth programs. Maybe they're doing a summer camp. Maybe they're touring in a summer camp. Uh, you burnout is very real. I will say that although I would never trade anything in my life, um, the experiences of playing music. Uh, there's a period where I would look back on maybe a few years, the end of my time in New York where I'm like, okay, I was done with New York and I was just kind of floating and not growing. But for the most part, I don't regret anything. You mm-hmm. know, it was an, it's been an incredible ride and and it's been a, a magical experience and I've had things happen in my life that I never would have dreamed of, you know, hearing my own song on WBRU, you know, was, was something that happened. That, that alone, if you had told me in seventh grade, Dude, your song is going to play on 95.5 WBRU, the now dis- defunct uh, great alternative radio station here in Rhode Island. I would have said, great, you know, that's enough. Yeah. But it's never enough. And I find now doing the different things that I'm doing, diversified with podcasting, radio, um, long form TV journalism on PBS and music, that I'm more creative. I'm getting more because I don't feel compelled to, like, make 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 decisions based on a short-term situation or uh, a need to get money or whatever. I'm also doing a solo project where I'm playing all the instruments now. I have a band that, that plays live with me, but um, it's just great. I'm feeling great now about where my music is. And um, it's funny because I oftentimes go through this mental exercise of, like, if I put out a new record, or if any of the other bands that I'm, that I'm playing with, I'm drumming in three other bands as well uh, that we rehearse. Each of them rehearses weekly, so almost every night I have a music rehearsal. If one of those bands broke through to the point where it could sustain uh, on the road and 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 grow to that next level, what would I do now? What, what would I what would I walk away from my podcasting and? radio and TV stuff to do music full-time again, uh, it would really depend. I, I wouldn't want to go back to the quality of life of living, sleeping on couches in Buffalo and paying for falafel with a roll of quarters. Um, but I think music is my first love and that if I had an opportunity to do it full-time, I, I think I could always podcast. You can podcast remotely. I don't think I'd ever give yeah. that up. Yeah, But... Yeah, it's weird because like, I'm not satisfied. Sometimes I think I could just do music for fun at this point in my life and embrace the fact that I've got this awesome opportunity um, with my different broadcasting platforms yeah. to just do that and be that and just love that, and, and I do, and, and just live that dream independent and then look back on, well, I did a lot of cool stuff with music. I lived in New York. I met my wife through that. I made most of my best friends in my life through that. I've had some cool opportunities through it, and great. Whatever happens, happens. I'm mm-hmm. done, but uh, I'm definitely not done. I'm 37. I feel still the same uh, enthusiasm I felt at 18, and I'm not done. Yeah. And I'll be disappointed if I'm not if I if I'm not able to grow further.
0: Yeah. Well. I was listening to your Billy, B- Billy Gilman podcast and he <laughs> yeah. was talking about how he's seen people in their forties finally break out and make it. And, and he's, and he won't stop because he still believes that he can get to the next level in his career. Yes. And and that's totally true. Um, but it's, uh, so my, like I said, uh, yesterday, my neighbor, uh, is, was in a band. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess he still technically is, but he talked about how, when they were just about like to get to that next level, <laughs> they, they got like, when they were producing music they'd have they'd like sit in front of a group of people and play yeah and they'd write down on like a clipboard what they liked what they didn't like what they can improve on and things like that and it that's intimidating you know like because it's music that you created and then you have like these people literally just judging you in front of your eyes yeah and and when he told me about that, I was like, "That I never, I you know, I knew that obviously there was some sort of analytics that went behind songwriting and things like that, sure, but not yeah. that literal."
1: Yeah, and sometimes I think that stuff's overrated because a song either hits you or it doesn't. Yeah. you know, like that's you hear, totally true. You hear I'd, a great song and yeah. you go, "Like I just saw Bob Dylan on Friday night. I've seen Bob Dylan like a dozen times, mm-hmm. but I hadn't seen him in like a decade, and um, he played almost all of his new record, which I loosely listened to." But he's, he sang this one song called Key West, and, uh, you know, I'm just sitting there, like, it's got this beautiful accordion part, I'm just sitting there, like, couldn't really even necessarily express, like, tears or anything like that, because I was just so shocked. Mm at what I was shows. It's amazing. So I'm talking about like the broadcasters, and like he's the, 80 and he's yeah, 81 <laughs> 80, and you're sitting yeah. there. I'm just like, what is happening yeah. right now? How does, how did he write this song and perform it from, from, from we're going deep and you know, you can Elon Musk goes up into the stars, whatever, NASA, whatever you can go endlessly that way. You can go endlessly into the soul. Mm-hmm. I believe it's eternal inside the soul, the other direction. Mm -hmm. That's what art, that's what a great song does. The deeper you go in that direction, the more uh, out of low earth orbit on the inverse, so to speak, you get in in deeper into space through the soul, the better the song is. And that's, there's no other way to judge it by what you feel. And so I, uh, but but I have been there where, you know, you're been on the verge of something Big happening you know I've done a couple of records with big time producers in my genre you know spent all my my wife and I in our band Silver Teeth we spent all our money I'm talking like all our money on the band like months and months behind on rent one old 15 20 year old vehicle um, I mean just all in you know living without heat uh crazy, you know, insanity, but I never thought twice about it. And so but then when you get to the point where you're sh- you you make a record and you you you're, the labels that you want to work with are evaluating it and like you said that whatever rubric they have and 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 it doesn't get picked up by those labels now what? Yeah. Now you're wh- what do we do? You know, you're you're all in. Um you did give it your best. Yeah.
0: it's really interesting that you talk about a song just hitting you um i my dad got uh, tickets to joe bonamassa he played oh yeah sure great guitarist and uh i had always listened to him on spotify or whatever and i thought he was good but then i sort of like lost my you know love for him i guess because now i like love him you know and then i went to that concert and then I and I was like, Holy crap, like yeah. this dude can play. And and my dad has been to a couple of his concerts before and he's like, "It's the best I've ever seen him. Yeah. yeah. And he went in there and, you know, just shred. Like and, and he plays blues, but like he shred. Like it wasn't just blues. Like he got in there and jammed. Yeah. And it was awesome. Uh there's this one song that he played, uh, that I was just like like you said, you know, I was listening to it. I was like, Holy crap, like they, they like the guitar and then like the the girls that were singing like and and you know backup singers were amazing like yeah, like yeah. his backup singers were great and then you got the piano player who's older than my grandparents
1: up there just like going yep. ham on that thing yep. <laughs> yeah and I, that was a at providence performing arts yeah, Center. yeah yeah i know some people who are at that show and they were like same thing i think my, yeah. my buddy steve clamkin was there uh, from from the radio station and yeah, people have said that that show was nuts. And, yeah. yeah, you just go; they take you some to another place. That's the magic of music. The music industry is like—I don't know—it's not even 100 years old since that started. But
0: music—when
1: mm-hmm. did that start? I mean, I when I'm in Brazil, I love to—I uh, love to spend time with the monkeys in the park. <laughs> yeah, watch them interact with their their fellow. Monkeys, monkeys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the birds, the toucans, this yeah. and the other—they're making music all day. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the dinosaurs probably made music. You know, um, what, the Big Bang itself is a song that can test continuously played since the origin of of what we know as time. Music is is so fundamental, and um, it, it's just weird that it's become what it has in a way Mm -hmm. with the industry around it and I'm not somebody who like I've listened to the new, well, the, the re recorded Taylor Swift record. Oh boy. Um, a few times. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Taylor Swift.
1: (laughs) And like, I'm not like a Taylor Swift fan or anything like that, but, but I hear it and I go, Oh, you know, there's a couple of songs in there that are, I go, wow, that's a great song. Like, yeah, it probably was carved out at a conference table with five people and it was written like a TV show would Mm -hmm. be written. But it's a great song. So a great song can be a great song by someone at the top of the industry or it could be somebody that's going to play at um, Elena's Alehouse yeah. tonight. tonight. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But the, the business around it is very complex. And if someone really wants to get into it, and I'm really not the right person to offer advice because I haven't had massive success in music, I don't think. I mean, I think I've had success enough to sustain and, and be proud and and leave a bit of a legacy, but, um, but not, not that next level. But, uh, the one thing I would say to anybody who wants to get into the music business is number one, um, be prepared to give it your all in the sense of like, live cheap, you know, find side hustles. It's like any entrepreneurial endeavor, but, um, and be prepared to push through all the disappointment you're going to experience because it's same as being a professional athlete. You know, if you're in triple a baseball or double a baseball and you see other people around you getting called up even for a short stints, um, that can be very discouraging. Uh, some people end up playing triple a then retiring or going and playing in independent leagues or something like that. But, um, you know, you have to keep sustaining. If your goal is to get to the major leagues, uh, that has to be your goal. Never mm-hmm. settle for anything less than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to be disappointed. Don't trick yourself to being like, "Oh, this is great." You know, it should be great in the moment, but always be hungry. And unless your goal is—and and believe me, there are a lot of people who play music—and they'll be happy to play at Elena's Ale House. They'll call Chris Caswell or Ryan Moran, the owners down that. This is the place down the street from where we're recording yeah, right now. Yeah. And uh, they'll call them up and they'll get a gig there, and it'll be Friday night, and they'll put a poster up, and their seventeen friends will come, and the bar will be entertained, and they'll do, uh, you know, uh, wagon wheel or I Got Friends in Low Places, and the whole bar yeah. will be singing along, and they'll go home, awesome. and they will love it. And sometimes I wish I could be satisfied with that because yeah. not that it's easier, but because um, it's it's more it's a bit more humble. Yeah, uh, but. When you're in Brooklyn and something Rhode Island needs more of, when, when I was in New York, competition is a good thing. Competition is like – when we'd have that open mic, the potion open mic, it was a competition. Whether it was a hip-hop artist, another singer-songwriter, a band, someone doing a poem, someone giving a speech, someone presenting visual art, comedy, whatever it is, classical music, whatever was happening, like a bar getting raised. Uh, and you having to dig deeper,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, we could use more of that in Rhode Island in a lot of sectors. Yeah. And, uh, music is one that I think we really could use that. in our, our music here is good. Uh, it's not great right now. And I think there's a lack of, of competition. Sort of the big players in the, in the state are just kind of coasting along at that level. Uh, we need some disruptors, yeah. especially young kids.
0: Yeah. Um, so I guess I, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah, sure. Back to podcast because I just thought a couple of yeah, questions. Yeah. So um, something that, that I find really interesting is, is having to establish yourself. You had to establish yourself as a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, How did you establish yourself as a
1: podcaster and get the governor of Rhode Island on? Well, oddly enough, my first guest was the lieutenant governor. He was then the lieutenant governor, okay. and that's partially because the lieutenant governor – Uh, is is an elected office with like a million-dollar budget for their office, but they don't have any constitutional tasks or it's a very entrepreneurial office. So I I was like, well, I'll write to this guy because he probably would have time. There's no way Gina Raimondo is coming on to an unknown podcast, Uh, and he was good enough to do so. So we we did a two-hour episode or something like that and forged a relationship that has been sustained through his now – tenure as governor when Raimondo went, went to Washington earlier this year, he was elevated to governor and I'm fortunate that I had already built this relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, in my particular business, a lot of people come on my show for two reasons at this, at this point, after having established it during 2018, which was an election year, you know, okay, I got, uh, Republican candidates. Giovanni Feroci came on. Alan Fung came on. Um, uh, Patricia Morgan came on. You know, uh, Joe Trillo came on. So now Matt Brown, all the candidates realize, oh, everyone's going on this thing. Well, I better do it. You know, once you get the ball rolling. Now, there's an influencer audience for Bartholomew Town. So I happen to know that people in different offices in, in the state house or city halls and representatives or whatever, politicos, inside baseball people, um, listen to the show. So a lot of people come on because they know that they're going to hit the influencer type audience. It's the same for the TV show A Lively Experiment on PBS um, and it's the same for the uh, morning and afternoon radio shows on WPRO where the the inside baseball couple thousand maybe 10,000 of us Rhode Islanders that are involved in politics are listening. So you come on Bartholomew Town because you want to reach those people. But then there's also, I think, the idea of you want to reach, if you're a candidate or if you're uh, somebody in Rhode Island that has a message to get out, you know, just like we talked about, TV news, if you want to reach people 35 and under... You're not going to get them on the TV news. Make, maybe even 45 and under. Uh, you want to reach 45 and under? Not happening in a uh, print newspaper. It's not happening on the radio. You know, where is it happening? Um, podcasts and social media. And I was first out of the gate. And people realized that they could trust me, that I wasn't there to sandbag people. That was a big thing. It just organically built up to the point where it just became one of the stops for, for for media people or for for political people, yeah. I guess.
0: Very cool. So, another question I have for you: You said you've been on radio and podcasting. Sure.
1: What do you find um, you're more engaged in? Very interesting. They're both very similar in a in, in a lot of ways. You're you're it's the art of the talker. Um, it's it's like being a musician and being in the studio or being on stage or whatever, you're still a musician, you're still doing anything, but you adapt to that particular mode. The radio is, 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 is very interesting. I'm a big radio fan. I think radio needs to evolve a lot and become a digital oriented platform and less of like a terrestrial, you know, I'm in the car, here we go. But because radio is what it is, you're constantly getting a new audience it's constantly shifting. It's like busking for me when i would busk on the train. Every 2 minutes the audience shifted. People got on the train, they left the station, da, 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 da. so you're constantly resetting. But at the same time you have some people that are there with you the entire time. A podcast, you know, people don't generally start a podcast 17 minutes into it and then turn it off at 24 minutes and then come back and fast forward to 48 minutes and listen, you know, your podcast is more of like the entire show is one listen. And there's a measurement, a, a stat in podcasting and radio called TSL, time spent listening. And it's much harder, I think, to generate st- strong TSL in radio because it is much more of an in and out. Hey, what's going on in the news? I'll put it on WPRO. Uh, it's that Bartholomew. Uh, the hell with him. He, you know, <laughs> he's too liberal. So they turn it off. Or Oh, that's that Bartholomew. Great, a relief from the, something that I don't like. Whatever it is, and the, and and the, you know, people tend to check in and out. As far as me being more engaged, it's very similar. Um, I do a lot of prep all the time, if that makes sense. I'm always listening, always thinking, always analyzing. But for both podcasts and radio, I don't over prep. I think both of them, I try to just go with the moment, go with the flow. The radio is a utility in my mind as well. That is, it's 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 got a obviously a, a federal designation of if there's an emergency or something like that, it it provides a service that is unique, but they're different. Um, when radio people do podcasts or, or just like take their radio show and put it up online and call it a podcast. It's not a podcast when pod, a podcast is like a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't a square, that type of thing. Like a radio show generally doesn't make a very good podcast but a podcast can make a very good radio show if, if you just air a podcast on terrestrial radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the biggest difference is that you're constantly resetting on radio. You know, you're there for three hours. I go in, I sit down, I've got a mic in front of me. 80,000 people are listening, whatever it is, but not at a time, you yeah. know. So it's it's a, it's a challenge and it's, it is a different animal. And you're also... On radio, you're working in twelve minute segments. Then it's the commercial, okay. And then I have three minute segment, okay. Now it's the news, okay. Five minutes, and then is this? It's so it, it's different. It's yeah. different, and and it's it, it needs to be reconfigured to survive. And I think they know that in radio. Yeah. Um, I find NPR horribly boring. I, I can't listen to any of that stuff. I find it's very. I don't want to be talked down to. Mm. Um, uh, but some people love it. You know, some people love NPR. It's just not my thing.
0: Yeah. So I mean that kind of leads into my next question is do you think that there'll be ever be a time where uh or do you think currently that podcasts have totally taken over
1: radio? Ooh, yeah. Well radio still has a lot of reach. It, it you can see that in the advertising and, and and the the numbers of um stations that are still open. Some radio is hard to believe it's still there. Like, I've, I'm amazed at hip-hop-oriented, um, terrible name for the, the genre on, of radio is called urban. I mean, it's, it's like, so outdated. Yeah. But so urban radio, as they call it, which would play hip-hop and R&B, still exists. That's mind-blowing to me. Like, who really listens to that? But then there's radio that's, like, on in the dentist office, you know, it's like, you know, you get some sacks, Kenny G sax or Ellen John, you know, you're yeah. waiting to get your tooth ripped down, you got to hear that nonsense. <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's thriving elevator music. Elevator music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That'll oh that that's doing well um talk radio is growing in a lot of sectors. WPRO, for example, is just about to install a brand new massively expensive studio that is you know, the the company that owns it. Cumulus is investing in because there's growth there. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic was a chance for people to just let me tune in. Let me see what's going on. Give me five minutes of the radio. I can kind of go to the gist of what's happening. Okay. Thank you. And that has increased the amount of of listenership. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's the same way that streaming services and television are competing. There's no question that TV is in decline. Um, Will it go away? Because of streaming services, probably not anytime soon. The more that they cross promote, the more interactivity between legacy media and new media that mm-hmm. happens, cross pollination. Because legacy media has a tremendous amount of resources in terms of institutional knowledge, access, so on and so forth. That a lot of tradi- that, that a lot of the new media, podcasts, social media, TikTok, whatever it is just simply doesn't have but when you combine those things that's where the future is so you've got a you've got a show that is a pop primarily a podcast but it also airs on the radio maybe on the weekends and then that podcaster also appears as a host on the radio um, and then that 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 show is referenced in a Boston Globe article and the, 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 the more that everything works together the ecosystem will sort itself out the big change is going to come and why i really believe that that radio needs to shift to uh, digital orient digital first is when you buy a new car and there's no fm signal in there never mind am there's no am fm signal mm-hmm. now there may always be because there's an emergency like when when the power goes out when this when things happen AM radio can still be there. So from a communications perspective, it, it actually may never go away. Um, but I think when Wi-Fi is directly in a car, not Wi-Fi by toggling your phone, but you get in your vehicle without a phone, it has a Wi-Fi receiver, whether it's Elon Musk satellites that are providing it, the small sats or something else altogether. Yeah. When you get in your car and preset one is... You know, the Knowledge is Power podcast. Preset two is the Bartholomew Town podcast. Preset three is WPRO. Preset four is WEI, Preset five is this other national podcast. When that's all integrated, uh, radio needs to be positioned to be in that space and compete there. And if, if, Sort
0: of like Sirius XM?
1: Sort of like Sirius XM, exactly. They need to adapt to that. Sirius XM is a weird thing, too, because they don't have a way to measure their audience. They claim they have a ton of subscribers, but how many people are listening to it? How many people are flipping a subscriber? Well, do they listen, do they just have it on in their office, or are they I actually- I highly
0: prefer it. Like, I, yeah. When I'm in the car, like my dad's truck has it, Yep. I'll listen to that, like, and I'm like going on a quick trip or something, I don't feel like plugging in my phone or whatever. Yep. Sometimes when I just don't feel like playing my own stuff, I want to listen to something different, I put it right. on. And I, I actually do like XM uh, a lot, but do you think that there ever could be a radio station or Sirius XM station that purely played podcasts. Yeah. Does that, I don't think that exists yet.
1: Does it? NPR is kind of moving in that direction. I think, Um, although it's still, it's a different flavor. Podcasts are interesting because they're not time restricted and, and they're currently not regulated by the FCC. So Mm -hmm. there's, there are, there are a lot of things that are, that would make it, if you, if you went to that point and you were really building it out from that perspective, I think you'd have to have podcasts that were shaped like radio shows. Yeah. I heard one that, I've been listening to a lot of Jerry Seinfeld stuff cause I'm yeah. this big Seinfeld kick. So I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts with, with him on it. And I heard one that was with him and, uh, on the smart List podcast, which is a pretty funny show. And, Seinfeld's great in talking about the process, the writing process especially. But then I heard another one with Kevin Hart, and it was called, I think, Inside Comedy. This is like yesterday or the day before, actually. And as I'm listening to it, I was like, this feels like a radio show more than a podcast. The way he was setting it up, the way he was kind of moving. He wasn't letting it, letting questions grow on an unlimited basis like the way we are today. He was seemingly time confined. And then all of a sudden he goes, we'll be right back after this message. You're listening. to And then it comes in with a voice. You're listening to Inside Comedy on Sirius XM. <laughs> and I went, "Ah, it's a radio show. Yeah. It's not a podcast. That's the difference.
0: Could there be a. For example, like you could have a station that says this week's presentation is the B-Town podcast. And and then like they play
1: like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I think you could do a best of yeah. type of show. Yeah, like a that's, best of That's something, that's something that, that I would like to see and, and build out here is, you know, um, so I do my interviews, and maybe it's it's two per week, and then the radio show's an hour long, so it doesn't quite fit both full episodes, but you take a nice chunk from each episode, you fill it in with commercials, and you fill it in with a little bit of a unique, like, intro and outro mm-hmm. type of scenario, and then you could build a nice a nice hour package that, and again, there would be that harmonious relationship between legacy and new media where, okay, the podcast is the podcast. It's reaching an audience that hasn't discovered podcasts, doesn't want to discover podcasts. They're still on radio. Uh, but the content, which is the, the core of all of this, is being shared across different platforms. Mm-hmm. I think that, that would make a lot of sense, and I think people would be smart to go that direction. That would be an interesting business model.
0: Yeah. I mean, now you could turn it into a business because you could have, like, sponsorship opportunities or podcasts oh. would pay to go on the platform. Yes. You know, but then you'd have to show, you'd have to have evidence that people are tuning into it. Like, because, like you said, with SiriusXM, they say they have all these subscribers, but
1: who actually listens to it? Yeah, and just know? who knows? How can you yeah. tell from an average? That's, that's the challenge with podcast advertising. It's, mm. a, it's a very tricky business because um, I – I don't. I know that. The, I I know certain numbers, of like streams, uh, streams followers, follower. Exactly. I, I know yeah. that we were in Podtrack. That we were the number one Rhode Island. B Town was the number one Rhode Island podcast. Okay, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What's the total audience? What's our share? That's how you measure radio. Mm-hmm. It's a flawed system as well. The way radio is measured is is actually deeply flawed too. But it's at least consistent across all of the measured radio stations so you can say all right this this station got a nine share so nine percent of the radio listening audience that was measured during that month listen to this x station and six percent listen to this station and 1.01 percent listen to that station whatever it is and you at least have some way to to sell advertisers on something Mm -hmm. in podcasting it's difficult i think you really have to want to attach yourself to the brand and believe that that in and of itself is a major marketing bonus for you. Um, My advertisers have traditionally been more interested in who's listening versus how many people are listening. And the, the notion that if you're reaching people who are really into, in your case, you know, innovation and ideas, or if you're reaching people, in my case, that are into politics, media, innovation, art, that sounds very elitist. But those are if you can, there, there's a way to target that particular of audience. There's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with saying that.
0: You yeah. know, like advertisers shouldn't spend money on things where they're not their demographic isn't listening. Right. You know, like there's no point in it for them. That's right. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Um, but. Yeah, so we actually just hit an hour and a half. Oh my God, really? Yeah, longest podcast ever. We beat Blake by 13 minutes. I, and I think we could keep going, but I think an hour and a half is a good... Uh, yeah,
1: the listeners, definitely. Yeah, yeah I apologize, listeners. <laughs> no, randomly, it's... That's this what is... happens. You give me coffee and a microphone, and <laughs> an hour and a half goes by very quickly. <laughs> it so. definitely did. I mean,
0: it, great conversation. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, great show. Yeah. And
1: I'm just so psyched, number one, that you're doing this because um, you've got you've got great energy, and it's a great great platform you're building here and and then uh you know you're, you're super young but also extremely uh talented and well crafted and and that's that's that and, and i believe a lot of the, the lo- another thing too the last thing i'll say is you, you kind of either have it or you don't in performance arts you can develop skills and and grow and we all are but if you're not afraid of a microphone born
0: that way. Yeah. I definitely was at first. I was like, you listen (laughs) to my first episode. I'm like, uh, you know, like I'll have to go back and listen. Oh yeah. Well, uh, I actually another, uh, well, he's from, he's from Chero as well. Kurt Harrington. He owns something fishy. I don't know if you know him. Mm -mm. No, he's like, he's in his early forties. So he's a little bit older than you, but super awesome guy. You should listen to that. Great episode. Really good business insight. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I actually like to end my podcast with this one question and every single one with it. Uh, if you want to leave, one piece of advice could be business, life, politics, whatever.
1: What, could it, what would it be? No one's going to come and save you. No one's coming to the rescue. Do it yourself. You'll make allies along the way. You'll find supporters along the way. But people are looking for light in the world. If you're a writer, if you're an artist, if you're a painter, if you're a podcaster, an entrepreneur, um, if you work in any other field that's more traditional job oriented, uh, there's, there's no one coming along that's going to save you and not to say you won't be saved by somebody at some point, but you have to go into it with a mentality of like, it's on you, put in the work every day, seven days a week. Don't burn out either, Mm -hmm. but, uh, do it yourself and make it happen. Amen.
0: Great advice. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to share this podcast. Uh, give it a five star rating on Apple Podcasts if you're listening. Uh, share a link on your Instagram story. Make sure you follow Knowledge Is Power underscore RI on Instagram as well. It'd be greatly appreciated. And I will catch you guys in the next one. Thanks again for coming on, Bill. This has been great. Yeah, my pleasure,
1: Max. Thanks. Yeah.